Good morning, Riverside. How you doing this morning? Good, good. I love the uh, challenge that we put out there to the community that this semester, let's be a community that prays, Lord, include me. And it's been really fun to uh, see those videos on Sunday mornings. And it's just such a good reminder and rec- uh, a good reminder and just for me to hold on to that, man, I don't have to cross the world to be on mission. That what you saw in Mark's video is, hey, it's in his own backyard. It's with every single person that he comes in contact with. It's such a beautiful picture. And so look forward to a few more weeks of uh, us being able to show some more Lord Include Me videos. But this right here, my friends, is uh, the Hickeybine family, a wiffle ball bat. And um, ever since my girls were like really little, we started them off with like the little, you know, the jumbo bats that have the little handle and the really big uh, head of it. So we started them on that. And then we graduated to this one just a couple of years ago. And so since the time they were old enough to kind of stand, I had them out in the front yard. And listen, my girls, don't, they don't play sports. They play the flute. I mean, they're not very athletic. But, but we have them in the front yard, and we hit wiffle balls together, and the dog goes and chases them. And it's just something fun that we have done forever around our house. And you know this, and uh, I know you know this, but... You know, I grew up playing Little League, uh, middle school baseball, high school baseball. I hope to play even after that, but just wasn't good enough. But everybody from wiffle ball age all the way through, like, whenever your career stopped, you know the pose. You know this pose. I don't even have to tell you who this is, and you already know who it is. Who is it? Babe Ruth, the great Bambino, steps up to the plate in the 1932 World Series with the score from the Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees, tied at 4-4. to In fact, actually, let's watch that together this morning. I got a short little video clip of it. Remember, again, it was a tough series. Both clubs riding each other, doing everything to get each other's go. Well, after this one particular time when I went to bat, Charlie Ruth was pitching Yelling from the Cub dugout was positively sulfurous, as well as from the fans. They were, they were in on this. This was a Chicago crowd, and they were throwing things and yelling, and Ruth was standing in the batter's box, yelling back at them between pitches. And the first pitch ball was a call strike. Well, I thought it was outside and didn't like it very much. More yelling back and forth. Strike two, more yelling. Well, I didn't like that one, so I let it go by. Well, I stepped out of the box, and by that time, they were over there going crazy. The volume coming from the stands was so loud that some of the club players were running out of the dugout and cupping their hands in their mouths to make sure we heard them. And then he makes his famous gesture. Well, I looked down at center field, and I saw it. I said, I'm going to hit the next pitch ball right past the flagpole. Well, good Lord, it must have been with watch that it brings chills to my like body where just he gets up there and just follows through and there's something that's so spectacular about those type of stories don't we love stories where people they rise to the moments and there's just something that's so compelling about that when people step up to the plate and they give it all they have 
But on the flip side of that, you know, history does not really look real fondly on quitters. History tells no story of great strikeouts. Can you imagine if it was the world, I mean, the scenario of the 32 World Series and Ruth gets up there and he just kind of goes through the motions and the first ball comes and he kind of just halfway swings and the next ball that coming down the plate, it's a strike and he doesn't even swing at it. He just lets it go by. The story would be pretty different, wouldn't it? I mean, every kid knows the story of the Bambino calling his shot out there. And on the flip side of that, the world doesn't remember quitters. And this morning, there is, uh, we're coming up on the last two chapters of the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews for the first 10 chapters has been telling us one story over and over again. Jesus is better. He's just better and he's worth it. He's better than any amount of friction, conflict, the old religious systems. He's better than the angels. He's better than uh, the high priest. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better, he's better, and he's better than it all. And for these last two chapters that we're going to find ourselves in, we're going to see this hinge of the book of Hebrews begin to unfold. And the author of Hebrews is going to say, okay, friends, it's your turn to step up to the plate. <laughs> so what are you going to do when it's your at bat? Because the author of Hebrews is going to say, listen, for 10 chapters, I've told you just how spectacular Jesus is. So what are you going to do about what he's done for you? Because the person of Jesus Christ, it demands a response. There is no neutral when it comes to your relationship with Christ. The author of Hebrews is going to say, listen, the only way forward, is, the only way is forward. You have to step up to the plate. There is no going back to what used to know, what you used to know, what used to be comfortable for you. You got to walk this thing out by faith. And we'll talk about real specifically what faith is this morning. This uh, chapter 11 that we're going to be jumping into is known as the... Um, uh, the, the author calls it the Hall of Faith, which you can see how clever they are with naming things. But it's called the Hall of Faith because it's going to highlight men and women who walked out this thing that stepped up to the plate and took their swings. And they did it by choosing faith over and over and over again. And this morning, before we get into chapter 11, we're going to back up to the back half of just the last line of chapter 10, because it's pretty compelling. And let me be honest, uh, it's opening deer season this morning. Uh, our women are retreating. I think there's like 50 or 60 of them all away. But I just believe for you this morning that, that you're not here on accident, that the Lord has something that he wants to gift you this morning. And I believe that the scripture that we're going to open up this morning um, is so compelling that it actually demands a response from, from us this morning. And so this morning, friends, is going to be beautiful. And so I want you to dive in with me. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 39. It's the last verse. It says this, but we don't belong to those that shrink back. We don't belong to the ones that step out of the batter's box. No, no, no. We don't shrink back. 
We don't get destroyed. We go forward by faith and are saved. The author of Hebrews ends chapter 10 by saying, don't quit. Keep going. Keep running. It's hard. I know it's really difficult. But the way of Christ is always a call to upstream living. Keep going. Uh, Foot after foot after foot after foot. Keep taking ground. Persevere in your relationship with Christ Almighty. Keep running. Now remember who the author of Hebrews is writing to. He's He's writing to us. A lot of us. He's writing to a whole bunch of people that are tired. And they're wearisome. And suddenly they find themselves following this new thing that God is doing, Jesus, and their expectations are not being met. And what they thought was going to happen is not happening. And how they thought the story was going to go is not how the story is actually going. And they're beginning to wonder, dang, is this worth it? (laughs) This is really hard. Like, can't I just go back to what is comfortable And the author of Hebrews is going to show us over and over that, listen, the only way forward is by faith. Jesus is better. You have to be willing to walk this thing out by faith, not by what your eyes see, by the things that you experience, not by your feelings. You can't walk this thing out by how much money is in your bank account You can't walk this thing out by how your relationship with your kids are going or what kind of grades they're making. You can't walk this thing out by how well the family unit looks real nice and pretty right now. You can't walk it out that way. The only way you walk this thing out is by faith. So this morning, I want to, as we kind of jump into this, this is the hall of faith that we're going to look at. And we're going to see all these lists of names that the author of Hebrew is going to list. And they're going to show us exactly what is faith. Now let's look at it. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now let's pause here. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of confusion about what faith is. And sometimes I think it's really helpful for us to define what it's not as a way for us to really define and get a good look at what it is. Does that make sense? And so what faith is not is not you wanting something really badly. (laughs) That's your desires. Faith is not this Man, if I could just have that. Oh, I gotta have that. I'm gonna focus on that. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna do everything. I'm just gonna, oh, I'm gonna be obsessed. That's not faith. Those are your feelings. Faith is not a, I've convinced myself that that is something that is gonna be good for me. That's oftentimes lying to ourselves. Faith is not this place where you pretend like you have something even though you don't have it yet. That's not faith either. That's pretending. That's like me saying, well, hey, I'm going to be a millionaire one day, so I'm going to go spend all my money in my bank account right now because I'm going to pretend like one day I know what this... That's not faith. That's foolishness. 
So what is faith? Because the author says this, faith is confidence in what? And it's assurance in who? So if we are defining what faith is, maybe we could say it this way. Next slide. Faith wages on the goodness of God. That faith comes to the table and says, my chips are all in. I'm betting on the goodness of God. I'm betting on his character, his story, his kindness, his generosity, and his love for me. I'm not betting on me and my abilities, but I'm betting solely on the goodness of God. And then married dovetailed to that is faith is not betting on your story. It's betting on his story. And we get this thing so backwards. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But faith is betting on the story that God is telling through me. And it's not just always about me. And so now watch how the author of Hebrews goes on and he gives us tons and tons of great examples of this exact image right here about the goodness of God and betting on God's story. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 11, uh, starting in verse 3, and we're going to bounce around a bit, so hang with me. Uh, but it's pretty, pretty amazing passage we got. Uh, starting in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what we see was made by what we don't see. By faith, Abel, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's long gone. By faith, Enoch has been taken up from this life, and he did not experience death. He cannot be found because God had taken him away. He's somebody that never died. God just kind of plucked him up, and he was out of here. For before he was taken, he was commended as one. Wouldn't this be a beautiful thing to be said about you? That he pleased God. That he pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah warned about these things not seen and holy fear built an an ark to save his family. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to the place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. You started the road trip with no destination, and he was, he was faithful. And look at verse 11. And by faith, even though Sarah, she was old, y'all. She was really old. She was way past childbearing age. God allowed her to have a child because she was faithful. Verse 12. And so from this one man, and as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, and then countless as sands on the seashell. Now, seashore. Now, watch this part. This part's, well, it's very problematic. Look at it. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. This should bother you. Listen. They did not receive the things promised to them, they saw them at a distance. And welcomed them. 
admitting that they were foreigners in a strange land. Now, question for you. Doesn't God keep all of his promises? <laughs> Come on. Does God keep all of his promises? But that's not what the scripture just said. It said they welcomed those from a distance. Now, this last uh, weekend was Halloween weekend, and it was uh, Saturday night, which was super fun. We barbecued in my front yard and with our life group and trick-or-treated in the neighborhood. It was super fun, and uh, the kids have been uh, hopped up on candy for a week <laughs> right now. And uh, this last week, we had a little uh, issue in the hinky bite home with telling the truth. And I said to my little one, uh, she came up to me and said, Daddy, can I have some candy? I said, well, how much have you eaten today? Daddy, I've only, I haven't had anything today, I promise. I said, okay, that's, if you haven't had anything, you can certainly have a piece of candy. A couple hours later, I'm um, uh, putting away their laundry, and I go to their sock drawer, uh, my littlest one's sock drawer, and lo and behold, guess what I found in the top of her sock drawer? about 15 pieces of wrappers all tucked away so I would not find them. And let me be honest, I didn't handle it well. <laughs> That's it! Get in here right now! Get in here right now! And I had to catch my breath and see, hinkybines don't lie. We keep our promises the best of our ability. Get in here, let's look at our... So we're face to face and I'm like, listen, how can I trust you if you do not tell me the truth? If you're gonna lie to me and not keep your promises, it's real hard for us to have relationship because relationship is built on somebody that keeps their word, somebody that I can trust, right? Do you see the problem with the scripture this morning? Where it said, they did not receive the things that was promised to them. Now, oftentimes when we come to very puzzling scriptures like this, um, it can be hard to know how to understand what do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I think that we have to see, uh, we have to choose to see the scriptures through the eyes of Jesus. That's the lens. That's the filter that we read scripture through, right? Not us staring through the scripture, but Jesus reading Jesus through the scriptures is the best way to think through that. What I think happened in this passage is they woke up one day and they realized that yes, God is 100% always faithful, always keeps his promises, but that they misunderstood the promise. That they understood it this way and yet God was something so much bigger and grander than they could imagine and was telling it this way. You might be able to say it like this that they thought the promise was going to come to them and God was more interested in the promise flowing through them for generations. And that's pretty compelling. That's pretty powerful. Now, question for us. How would you respond to that? Honestly. Like if you understood a promise of God one way and you thought this thing was just going to smack you smack dab in the middle of the, your chest... And how you thought you understood the promise was not how the promise was going to actually play out. Like it wasn't just going to come to you, but it was going to somehow flow through you. That's a, that's a hard shift that the people in the scripture made. Is that they never received what they 
thought was due to them that God was up to something so much bigger and so much grander and so much more redemptive than their limited understanding. Not to them, but the promises of God would flow through them. And if you keep reading throughout in the scripture, you get to like this place where you see Abraham understands that like, hey, God has promised that I'll have as many children as the stars in the sky and grains of sand on the seashore. And yet he comes, this brother comes to the end of his life and he's got one child of promise. <laughs> Dang God, what happened? I thought you were going to keep your promise to me. You see, he, he understood the promise this way like it was going to happen to him. And God was interested in something so much grander than that that the promise of God was going to somehow flow through him. And what it says is, it says that Abraham welcomed God's faithfulness, God's promise from a distance. That image there in Greek uh, is like two friends that haven't seen each other reunited. Where, oh my gosh, come here! And you embrace. That's the picture that we have with Abraham hanging on to God's promise of two friends embracing over this promise that is not going to come to him, but that is going to come through him. All of these people died, but they still lived by faith, not receiving the promise that they thought was due to them. Let's, let's make this real. Because so often what happens is we think that God owes us something. Or we think that God has made us some sort of promise. And we understand it one way. And it leads to disaster when it doesn't unfold the way we think it's going to happen. But God, you promised me this. And my story is gone. And it's gone completely a different way. What is that, God? Are you not faithful to your promises? And I would argue and I would say that oftentimes what we have is a me problem. Sorry, did y'all see the Muppets movie? My mind is going crazy right now. Um, there is a me problem where we think we take center stage. And the story is really about us. Donald Miller has this beautiful quote that I want to show you real quick. I don't know if you know who Donald Miller is. He does a lot of writing. I don't agree with everything he does but he's pretty spectacular on this one thing. Look at what it says. He said to me, I was a tree and a story about a forest. And that it was arrogant of me to believe any differently. And he told me the story of the forest is always better than the story of the tree. Does that hit home? Does <laughs> that hit home with any of us? Where... God, you promised it's all about me. You got to keep your word. You owe me this, God. I told you, like, this is the plan. This is how things are going to work out. And we're like, I'm the forest. <laughs> like, I'm the show. And God is telling something so much bigger and more redemptive than we're even aware of. Even aware of. So many times, friends, I've seen it time and time and time again where people think the stories about themselves and the, something that they thought was going to happen suddenly the breaks 
come on and the story takes a hard, hard turn and people get offended that God is not doing what they thought and they get hurt and they build up resentments and oftentimes they bail. Do you see just how central it is for us to understand this? Like, like it's not me-centered, me-focused. I'm not the story. But God's redemptive story is unfolding and unfolding and unfolding over generations. And you see all these people that walked it out by faith. And they understood that the story that they got sucked up into was more than just them. Look what it says in verse 14. People who, who uh, say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of their country they had left, they would have every opportunity to return. So Abraham, this is about Abraham. Abraham wakes up one day at the end of his life and he's like, God, you promised. You promised me the land. That's my house way over there. And he wakes up at the end of his days and it doesn't go the way he thought it was going to go. He misunderstood the promises of God, which is us. And he has every opportunity to be like, thanks, I'm out. Every opportunity. And yet, what do you see about how he moves forward? He moves forward and welcomes the promise from a distance, embracing the goodness of God and walking this thing out by faith. Friends, brothers, sisters, listen. The story is so much bigger than just you. And when we understand that, it allows us to actually not have to have things go our way all of the time because it's not just about me and my preferences and my desires and my comfort that God is telling a story so much bigger. And it frees you to run. It frees you to run the race that is set before you. And then chapter 11 goes on and it lists all of these people that Walk this thing out by faith. And I'm not going to read all of them, but, you know, verse 17, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac and Jacob, by faith. Verse 21, Joseph, by faith. Verse 24, Moses, by faith, the Jericho walls fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab rescued the city. And what more shall I say? I don't even have time to talk about all these, is basically what he says. Listen, too many people walked it out by faith, and it's pretty unbelievable. These are stories in chapter 11 about God shutting the mouth of lions, about heroes stepping forward and slaying the giant, about people rescuing and redeeming their cities, stories of God literally raising kids' babies back from the dead and restore, giving them back to their family. These stories are unbelievable. In chapter 11, right here, we're like, Hall of Faith, baby. Those are Woo! I like that. And then you get to verse 35. And it's not so fun anymore. Look at what it says. Well, here's the bait and switch. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And somebody cut me off on traffic. Are you 
kidding me? I'm persecuted. And that's not what we see at all. Look, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in caves and holes and grounds. And the author has this stark comparison that he or she makes for us. For some people, the story ends in victory and triumph and beauty and redemption here and now. And for a whole other people, their story ends in death and martyrdom and suffering and persecution and grinding all the days of their life. But what does the author of Hebrews say? By faith. Both of them finish the race. Both of them, by faith, took their swing. (laughs) That both of them came up to the plate, called their shot, and gave it everything they had, no matter the road that was laid out before them whether it was triumph and glory and goodness or whether it was really difficult and painful and it was not how they thought this thing was actually going to go. Both parties, stepped, both people groups stepped forward and walked this thing out by faith. Look at verse 39, says these, this. These people, this is the shift force. Watch this. This is the, this is the rug being pulled out from underneath us. This is the, the hinge of this passage. Look at what it says. The, these people were all commended for their faith. But yet none of them received what was promised to them. Since God had planned something better for who? Who? Me. You. God had planned something better for us. They understood the promise coming to them. But God's promise was going to flow through them. For generation after generation after generation after generation. They understood it one way and God's redemptive story was so much bigger than they could ever even imagine that it flows down and smacks us right in the face today. That's how big the story actually goes. But Lord, I'm the, I'm the tree. <laughs> it's about me. And God is saying, your story is beautiful and as important as it is, ultimately gets sucked up into the greater story that God is wanting to tell. For generations to come your children and their children and their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren and 2,000 years later we sit in this place enjoying a promise that God has ultimately kept let's finish it up look at verse 12 so what are you going to do about all this is basically verse chapter 12 sorry what are you going to do now that God can be trusted in all these people by faith Good or bad, what are you going to do about walking this thing out? And look at what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness. Who are the great cloud of witness? All of the names we just read. All of the names in chapter 11. Moses, Abraham, Joseph, Rahab, Mary, all of them. Since there is a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Let us throw off everything 
that hinders us and the sin that just weighs us down. And look at what it says. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's like he laughed at that shame. Like, that's all you got? That's the picture here, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and I may not grow weary. This idea that the author says, let us run the race set before us, would have immediately, just immediately triggered this image. This is the image of a Colosseum at Caesarea uh, Maritima, I think is how you say it. I've been to this one. Uh, some of you in the room have been to uh, this place with us. It is absolutely gorgeous. And when the author of Hebrews said, run the race set before you, immediately in their mind, they would have thought about an athlete. They would have thought about an athlete competing in the games. The Romans would have known it as circus, which I think is really funny. But immediately they would have had this image of an athlete coming to the arena to compete in the games where we get kind of the Olympic, Olympics from, that uh, athletes from all around the world would flood into uh, Caesar's uh, auditorium and they would come and they would compete in all, from all over the world. And what was fascinating, all of them would come and they would come and they would run in such a way that they would bring honor to their gods. Because there were many, many gods out there and these runners would come in and they would give it everything they got so that those in the stands would know just how strong and mighty their God is. And the author of Hebrews says, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, run! You, you, the, the, the picture there is an auditorium of upwards of 20,000 people packed in there to watch these athletes compete. And you step up to the line. And all of these athletes are going to run in such a way that they're going to let everybody else know whose God is the best, whose God is the real God. And as you step to the line, you run with every ounce of energy and strength you have available to you, and then some. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? He picks up on this imagery of running. Look at what it says. Do you not know that you're in a race, and all runners run the race, but only one gets the prize? So you, Riverside, run in such a way that you get the prize. Go back to Caesarea. One more time. Do you see the imagery that's going on in Hebrews chapter 11? There is this great many of super faithful people that have gone before you, that are in the stands, cheering you on. Come on. Don't you quit. Keep going. I didn't quit. You don't quit. The author of Hebrews is basically pleading with you. He's saying to us, listen, brothers and sisters, because of all that Christ has done, 
Come up to the plate and take your swing. Come up and give it everything you got. There are many, there's a great cloud of witnesses that have come before you that are saying, I didn't quit. You don't quit either. Because there's something really different about, I'm going to make sure I don't hit anything. There's something really different about the way we swing if we really want to compete in the games. Because it's, it's one thing to get up there and, you know. And it's a whole other thing to walk up to that plate confident, strong, and anything, ah, anything that comes over the plate, I'm going to kill it. That ball comes down that plate, you better not, ah, and I'm going to just smoke that ball out of here. Run in such a way that you tell the world who your God is. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is saying? Because, brothers and sisters, there's a great cloud of witness of faithful people that have gone before you. Do not quit. I also think it's fair to say that the author of Hebrews doesn't say this, but I'll take some liberty. The author of Hebrews, man, I'm tired from swinging that. <laughs> The uh, author of Hebrews doesn't say this, but I think he says this, or she says this. There's a great cloud of witnesses like this list of David and Abraham and Joseph and Mary and Rahab, all these people. Great cloud of witness. But there's also my cloud of witness too. The people in my life that have gone before me, that have run their race, and now they are in the stands and they cheer me on. These are a couple of them. Whew. This is a story of my grand, that's the picture of my grandfather. His name was Bub. And so we called him, not grandfather, we called him Daddy Bub. And I don't know, I guess that picture is probably 10 years ago. And he's cheering me on. And then you have my grandmother. And she passed away just a couple years ago at 98 years old. And they were married for 60-something years. And she's cheering me on too. And then there's this guy. That's me and my friend Luke Hyde at Young Life Camp, I don't know, eight years ago. And he passed away this last year. Great cloud of witness. And let me, let me tell you honestly, if you knew that guy, he was a beast. He was an animal. He was a linebacker at Smithson Valley, and people knew his name. <laughs> he would clean your clock. And I'm telling you right now, if he saw me following Jesus, going through the motions, stepping up and taking my swing and just, whew, that was awesome. He would rip me. <laughs> he would come and just rip me. Everything you got, John. Let the world know who your God is. Run! And then there's this guy. 
This is Randall. And it's been seven years um, since he passed. And you better believe, he was one of the hairiest men I ever knew. <laughs> His back was like a sweater all the time. And he was a character. And man, I miss him. And you better believe right now. Come on, John. Keep running. Don't you quit. Come on. Hit that finish line. Because let me be honest. I don't want to hit the finish line one day. And that guy say, is that all you had? You wussy. Why didn't you give it? Why'd you hold back? Why didn't you push harder? Why didn't you leave it all on the table? John, why did you take a little something off and not take your full swing? Run! Run like what Paul says. Run the race like you want to win the thing. Because the truth is, friends, it's not just those that have gone before us. Next slide. It's also those that come after us. And the author of Hebrews says, run in such a way that you'll leave a legacy for those to follow. Because the truth is, it could be today. My day could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. Whenever God is done with me, there will be a day. And as a dad thinking about his two girls left behind, I want them to know what my God is like. I want them to know how good and kind and how adventurous and how disruptive he is. And I want them to know that dad poured it all out. That there was nothing left on the table. That he got up there, he called his shot. He stepped up to the plate and with everything in there, he just let it rip. Struck out, hit the ball, doesn't matter. But he was not... 98% in. He was not 99% in. I mean, he was all in. I've, uh, don't be impressed because it's not impressive, but I've run lots of marathons, lots of them. One of them, the paddy wagon, <laughs> was about to pick me up because I wasn't keeping up with the uh, pace time. And so they come and they politely pick you up in the van and they take you to the finish line. <laughs> That's how slow I was. So don't be impressed, but I've run lots of marathons. But have you ever been to a finish line of a marathon before? Oh man, it's beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful. The months of training, the agony of getting to the finish line, the tears of joy, people leaving it all out on the table. It is, I mean, it's really something. What if we finished the race that way? What if we got to the finish line and there was nothing in the tanks? Watch this video. It shows us a good picture of it. And this morning I saw she was full of enthusiasm. She went up really quickly, it has to be said. And Lux is paying for it. And she's still going to run a personal best here, just about. So she's struggling to get to the finish line. 
but Haley had a go today. She had a real go. Was running sub 2:30 like Lily Partridge for most of the route. And you have to hand it to Tish Jones. She judged the race better, came through better. I hope Haley's okay. Looks very, very tired. I hope. Oh, they need to get and help her. She'll be okay. Well done, Haley. Well, Haley has just run a personal best. She's okay. She knows she has to get across the line. She knows she has and to get across the line, and the others know they can't count her. She's two and a half minutes or more better than she's ever done before. But what a brave effort! She had a real go there. She did, and she's okay. She's just given everything that she has in her body there today, and you could see her as she progressed up the mile. She was struggling to lift her feet up with each step, but she knew she had to get across the line. And sadly, the people trying to help her knew that they also had to try and let her get across the line before they could go and help her. Yeah, she's talking to the medics. Uh, she's just very exhausted and you know she you know, when you when you <laughs> but clearly that girl's not okay <laughs> he said oh she's okay she just needs to i'm like the girl i think is dead <laughs> i mean she barely i mean come on she needs to help her and yet there's this beautiful moment where they're like nope she's got to cross the line for herself she's got to get over the line and there's something beautiful about her just falling and crawling and that Literally, I don't think she could have gone another inch. She just collapses at the finish line and says, that was it. That's all I had. I held nothing back. It took everything I had and I poured it all out and I didn't hold back. And what a prayer for us as a people of God. What an invitation for us, for you this morning. run take your swings for some it's beautiful and it's glorious and there's triumph and for others it's difficult and it's hard but both people took their swings both walked it out by faith Brothers and sisters, let us be a community. Let me be a man. Let me be a father that runs with everything I have after the goodness of God. Allowing me at the end of my days, whenever that day is, to collapse over the finish line. Because I have nothing left. I've poured it all out. I've exercised it all. I've got nothing left in the tanks. I was that faithful. This morning, I don't know what else to do, but I thought it would be appropriate for us to sing and just declare that together and invite God's presence just to remind us, run, run, run. History does not remember quitters. And as the people of God, you are not allowed to quit. And the only way forward is by faith.